our stress response is only meant to be for fight or flight, not all day, constantly. Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. And yet, for many of us, our thoughts don't strengthen or empower us. We tend toward negativity, self-pity, jealousy, or fear. We see what we don't have instead of what we do. We think things that hold us back and dampen our spirit. But it's not just about thinking. Our actions matter. It takes conscious, consistent, and creative effort to make a life worth living. This podcast is about how other people keep themselves moving in the right direction, how they feed their good wolf. First Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Thanks for joining us. Our guest on this episode is Emma Seppala, Science Director at Stanford University's Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. She is also the author of The Happiness Track. Emma is co-director of the Yale College Emotional Intelligence Project. She consults with Fortune 500 leaders and employees on building a positive organization and teaches at the Yale School of Management's Executive Education Program. She graduated from Yale, Columbia, and Stanford. If you value the content we put out each week, then we need your help. As the show has grown, so have our expenses and time commitment. Go to oneufeed.net slash support and make a monthly donation. Our goal is to get to 5% of our listeners supporting the show. Please be part of the 5% that make a contribution and allow us to keep putting out these interviews and ideas. We really need your help to make the show sustainable and long-lasting. Again, that's oneufeed.net slash support. Thank you in advance for your help. And here's the interview with Emma Seppala. Hi, Emma. Welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you on. You've written a new book called The Happiness Track, and we'll talk about that shortly. But I'd like to start like we usually do with the parable. There's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson. He says, in life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandson stops, and he thinks about it for a second, and he looks up at his grandfather, and he says, Well, grandfather, which one wins? And the grandfather says, The one you feed. So I'd like to start off by asking you what that parable means to you in your life and in the work that you do. I definitely agree that the one you feed is stronger in the sense that the people you surround yourself with, the values of the people around you, the values you've learned, and also the attention you put towards fostering traits like compassion, kindness um, in yourself. At the same time, I also think that uh, we're naturally 
kind and compassionate. That's our natural instinct. It's just that it gets overshadowed sometimes. It's not just about cultivating those qualities because you see them naturally in children. And we know that from research, we see that children naturally act altruistically and that adults do too, actually. When you don't give them a lot of time to think, they are more likely to do the kind act, the fair act. So I I just think certain things do push us towards acting according to the more negative wolf. And those things are things like stress. I think when we're under a lot of stress, uh, we don't necessarily have the bandwidth within ourselves or to act according to our best self. Sometimes people act in a way that's, quote, evil because they're a little ignorant of all of the facts of they have a a skewed vision, perhaps. Um, But I think that at our core, we're good. And, and I think the research also points to that when we look at it. Yeah, nothing like some stress to, to bring out those, uh, <laughs> those more challenging behaviors. You know, I think it's easy to be good when things are going good. It's when things get challenging that it becomes harder. Yes, and that's where activities like meditation or you know activities that really foster calmness and contemplation and well-being within you, like even taking walks in nature and taking time to unplug and slow down, they can really help to reset your nervous system so that you act according to your best self, that natural tendency we all have. Your book is called The Happiness Track, and the subtitle is How to Apply the Science of Happiness to Accelerate Your Success. So you're not writing this just from a here's how to be happy perspective, but also from a perspective of in order to be successful, it sure helps to be happy. Can you talk about that connection for a minute? Well, I'll start with a story of uh, one of the Stanford undergraduates that participated in a class on the science of happiness that my colleague and I founded a number of years ago. And uh, the student said she had to drop out of the class. And when my fellow colleague instructor asked, well, why? The student said, because it goes against everything I've ever learned. (laughs) My parents told me I have to be very successful. And when I asked them how to be very successful, they said, you have to work very, very hard. And when I asked them, how do I know when I'm working hard enough, they said, when you're suffering and can seem like a shocking story, but really it's, it's something that is all around us. Um, that theory is there. We have a sense that no pain, no gain. If you don't work yourself into the ground, you're just not going to compete as well. You're not going to come out first. You're not going to do better than others, etc. But if you look at the data, if you look at the research, we have it all wrong. This is a false theory. And that's why we're seeing 50% burnout across industries. We're seeing that 75% of the American workforce is disengaged at work. We're seeing that 80% of doctor's visits are attributed to stress. There's something going on. There's a pain point that we all feel that we've all seen, if not in ourselves and in people around us, that this theory of success, the idea that in order to be successful, you have to postpone or sacrifice your happiness is simply false. It's not working. At least you can see it's not working. And so when I looked at the data, I saw again and again that if you actually do things to take care of yourself and the people around you, you actually are more creative, more productive, you're more focused, more charismatic, and more successful in the long run, more innovative in your thinking, more influential, the list goes on. So it was from seeing this pain point in the people around me, very successful environments like Silicon Valley, Yale University, Manhattan, different places where I worked. And so I, I wrote this book because I saw this pain point and I wanted to show people the data 
that um, there's another way and it's a better way and you're not going to burn out and you're going to do better. Yeah, you talk about six major false theories that are behind our current notions of success. So the things that we think are important to be successful, uh, you're saying that a lot of these things aren't true. Um, Maybe we could talk about what a couple of those are. Sure. Well, one of them, I think an obvious one is the idea that you can't have success without stress. Um, People just buy into that. And it's so interesting because you see we fuel ourselves with stress. We overschedule ourselves. We wait till the last minute to get things done. We fuel up with caffeine, our energy drinks. We have bought into this idea that the only way we can be productive is thanks to adrenaline coursing through our veins. And then we wonder why we're so exhausted by 2 p.m., why we fall on the couch when we get home after work, why we don't have energy, why we have sleep problems. And it's because we're constantly tapping into this fight or flight system. And, you know, it's nothing new, this idea that stress is bad for you. But we have still bought into the fact that we need it somehow. We've become kind of addicted to adrenaline. But the problem is that's why we're burning out. That's why we're seeing such high burnout levels. If you look in the animal world, we're only supposed to feel stress a few minutes in our life. Those are the words of a psychologist at Stanford wrote a book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. But the idea is that our stress response is only meant to be for fight or flight, not all day, constantly. And so when we constantly fuel ourselves up like that, we are burning through all of our systems. We're burning through our immune system. We're burning through so many things in our body. We're using up so much energy. And then we wonder why we don't have energy. And then we just keep fueling up. The problem comes is that when we're constantly in this high adrenaline mode, we're also not able to focus. We lose our ability to make good decisions. Our emotional intelligence drops. We're not able to communicate as easily with other people. We're not able to take a broader perspective when it's needed. And our immune system is compromised. We've all experienced this and there's plenty of data on that too. So we really need to rethink this idea. But if you actually take time to do things like meditation or whatever it is that calms you down, and if you actually make time for that in your life, you'll see that your attention is broader, your memory improves, you're able to connect better with other people. You're actually more powerful. If you think about who's more powerful when they arrive at a negotiation table, for example, the person who's super anxious a negotiation table or job interview or first date, you name it. The person who's really anxious and really wants the job or the negotiation outcome, whatever it is, or the other person who's really calm, who's really centered, who could just walk away and be just fine. Clearly, it's the calm one. And yet calmness has somehow is not a, a quote, sexy feeling. We, we're always talking about, I'm so excited to see you. We don't say, I'm so calm to see you. So In the United States in particular, we value high-intensity, high-intensity stress, Mm -hmm. high-intensity excitement. So we know that also from data. When we think of happiness, we think of high-intensity emotions like excitement and thrill. And um, that's all fine and good, but what we're buying into is a life of high-intensity all the time. And then we're wondering why we're exhausted. We're also wondering why there's such high anxiety levels when we're constantly doing it to ourselves in some ways. That's why things like meditation, um, yoga... Um, spending more time in nature, unplugging in the evenings, unplugging on the weekends, allowing yourself to have a little technology detox uh, when you don't absolutely need to be on your various instruments of communication. So that's just one of the theories. Another theory is this idea that we have to be so focused on our niche all the time, so focused on our field. I need to be number one in my field. I need to know everything in order to be innovative, in order to be creative. So the number one 
attribute that CEOs look for in the incoming workforce is creativity. Above everything else, above integrity, above work ethic, everything. And it makes sense if you think about it because creativity and innovative thinking is so needed in any field that you're in to excel um, and to get ahead. And so the mistake that we make is that we are constantly so focused on our field, so focused on learning, and we are always thinking about the next thing on our to-do list. But as a consequence, we actually prevent ourselves from getting into a creative mindset. So if you look at the data, our brain is most likely to come up with a breakthrough solution when we're idle, when we're in the shower, or in that moment right before sleep, or when we're maybe in the car just zoning out, listening to music. And there's a reason for that. When we're in an idle situation, our brain is actually in active problem-solving mode. So you'll probably notice that you'll find a solution to something you've been pondering on forever in a moment you least expect it. The idea is that you need to take time off. You need to take time to be idle. And if you think about it, you could go all day long, never, ever accessing that creative mindset because people roll over in bed and check their email. And then if you wait in line, people are checking their emails. All those moments when you used to wait for the bus and just space out or daydream are spent on our devices. And then when we're at work, we're constantly focused and learning and so forth, which is great. But creativity actually needs you to take that time off. So, you know, even if it's in the name of productivity, take some time off, which we also know is so good for your engagement when you get back to work. We know from research that when you take time off of work, when you're in the evenings, on the weekends and so forth, you come back much more engaged. You come back much more energized. So it's, it's a great way to manage your energy too. And something again that we've forgotten. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine washable, and great looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. This can be really challenging to figure out. And when we try to deal with them on our own, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I recently had a few things I needed to talk about, and I signed up for BetterHelp again. And I choose it because it's convenient, it's flexible, and it works well with my schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. 
Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash feed today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash feed. Hey everybody, it's Eric here and want to talk about our Patreon donation campaign. Thank you to those of you who have donated so far. It means an awful lot. You'd be amazed at how happy it makes me every time I see one come in via email. So if you want to give me a big smile, that's a great way to do it. Oneyoufeed.net slash support. Our goal was 10 last week and we didn't quite meet it. So I'd like to try and do it again this week. If I could get 10 of you to contribute, it would mean a lot. One of my favorite bookstores is City Lights Books in San Francisco. And every time I go there, I buy a book from them, whether I need a book or not, because I want them to be there every time I go. There's a bookstore here in Columbus called Acorn Used Books, and it's a great used bookstore. And I also go there, try to semi-regularly to buy a book again, because I don't want them to go away. And believe me, the last thing I need in most of these cases is another book. They keep showing up at the house on a regular basis from publishers. But I do it because I value those institutions and I want them to be there. So if you value this show and you want it to be here for the long term, if you want us to keep putting out episodes like we do, doing the mini episodes, then please make a donation today. You can go to oneyoufeed.net slash support. A contribution of any amount that you make right now would be helpful. Thanks so much, and back to the interview. You talk in the book a lot about managing your energy. So mm-hmm. not managing your time, but managing your energy. Share a little bit more about what that means, and then maybe talk some about how we can manage our energy better. Yeah, so one of the ways, is, you know, what I just discussed is that slowing down that adrenaline rush or curbing it in some way. You know, it's fine to have a coffee, or if you're the kind of person who likes to be last minute to get things done because that motivates you, that's fine. But just watch How much are you fueling your life with adrenaline? Because that's burning through your battery at high speed. One thing that you might want to do, and that also brings out the greatest creativity, is to alternate high and low intensity tasks in your day. For example, if you have a presentation to prepare, that's a high intensity focused, concentrated work. Do that for the first hour at work. But the second hour, do the things that allow you to mind wander, to be less focused and less intensely focused clean out your desk, um, enter data, something less intense, and then you can go back to an intense activity. So kind of sandwiching high and low intensity activities like that can not only help you restore your energy, manage your energy, but also will help you be more creative. Because in those tasks that demand less focus, you're able to mind wander, which actually leads to those creative moments. And, And research shows that when you go back to your high intensity activity, let's say you go back to that presentation and keep refining it, you're going to be more focused. So that's one way. The other way, obviously, like I said earlier, is managing that how much adrenaline, how much caffeine, how much speed you live with in your life. And finally, meditation is is huge. I mean, at this point, everybody meditates at this point, everybody has heard of it, at least. It's so simple. And yet it's so powerful. We live at a time and age when we're taking in more information than we ever before. So a 2009 study showed that we take in um, 35,000 gigabytes of information every week, which is enough to crash a computer in a couple of weeks. That was 35,000 gigabytes of information a day. But that was in 2009. The iPhone had barely come out. I don't even want to know what it is at this point. (laughs) 
but we are in a deluge of information. And, and then we're wondering why our thoughts are racing, why we're feeling stressed, why we're feeling overwhelmed. We've come to a point where we absolutely have to unplug in order to create some balance. Our ancestors, even our grandparents, even our parents did not consume this much information. And we haven't yet found a balance. It's happened so fast. So I think that's why a lot of people are finding this kind of revolutionary act of sitting and doing nothing, which is so revolutionary in our culture where we are such doers. <laughs> just for a few minutes is actually balancing us out. And there's so much research at this point showing the very, very many, many benefits. You also talk about resilience and you talk about how animals and children have a lot of natural resilience. And yet as adults, we don't show that in the same way. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, we can see in children and in animals when they get upset or when they get stressed, they're over it in a couple of minutes. As soon as the stressor is gone, they've moved on and they're doing just fine. And you'll notice that kids have a lot of energy and the animals go right back to being very peaceful after they've been at the vet or they've been chased in, you know, in the wild. And the reason for that is that after being in fight or flight mode, our body immediately goes back to a parasympathetic mode from sympathetic to parasympathetic, which means from fight or flight to rest and digest to that mode in which the body can repair itself, restore all of the resources it's lost during the fight or flight moment so that it can be strong and resilient in the face of another stressor. And that's why it's so important for us to make that time in our life when we can go into that parasympathetic calming state, which again, in our culture, we don't value, but it's so essential to manage our energy that way. And so that that's really critical. And a very important way that you can do that is actually through your breath. And that sounds so simplistic, but it's not at all. It is so powerful. I've done research with some of the most stressed individuals in our society, which are veterans returning from combat with trauma, their nervous system has sometimes been turned into fight or flight mode and somehow hasn't been able to shut off again. It seems like that's what trauma can sometimes do to someone. They have trouble sleeping. They're always anxious. Um, they're extremely jumpy in very normal, non-dangerous situations. They can't function normally. Their uh, cognitive skills decline because their body is so taxed, their mind is so taxed from whatever experience it was that led to the trauma and that doesn't allow them to live in the present moment and to move on with their lives. In one week of doing some breathing exercises with them um, through a nonprofit called Project Welcome Home Troops and uh, learning a yoga-based breathing exercise uh, called Sudarshan Kriya Yoga Sky Breathing, they were able to come back to themselves. They were able to sleep again. Their anxiety normalized and they've moved on with their lives. I've been invited to officiate their weddings. They have relationships, jobs. They've finished school. It's amazing. They've just moved on. And how is it that something so simple as the breath can reset our nervous system? If it can do it for them, it can do it for any of us. It is so powerful. So we know that from experience, and but also um, we know that from research that when we have different emotions, our breathing changes. For example, anxiety is short and shallow. Anger is short and shallow. Sobbing, laughing, those are all examples of how emotions are tied to breathing. You come home, you're exhausted. It's been a long day. You plop down on the sofa and you sigh. Our breath changes with our feelings. But the most interesting part is, is that when you change your breath, you can change your feelings. And there's a, a really interesting research study that shows that too. So just with your breath, you can change the state of your mind. And this is very powerful because think about it. When we're having a strong emotion, it's really, really hard to control our emotions with our thoughts. Yet that's what people are always telling us. They're like, oh, calm down when you're 
feeling not calm. I mean, is that helpful when people say that? Right. Or when we try to say that to ourselves, like, oh, don't freak out. Or, or when we're trying to go to sleep and we're saying, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. It doesn't work. And we know from research too, that what you resist persists in the mind, but with breathing, you can change how you feel. And that's to me revolutionary. Um, because when you have peace of mind, when you have presence of mind, you have everything. Um, so do you want me to share a story with you about how powerful breathing is? Sure. And then maybe you could share a little bit about how to do some of this breathing, sure. like what, what people could do now, an exercise they can use. And I'm always interested in like, how long do you need to do the breathing exercise for? And so maybe you can just share some of that also. Sure. So I'll share the story of a friend of ours who uh, was an officer in the Marine Corps, and he was in charge of the last vehicle on a convoy going across Afghanistan. And every other vehicle passed safely, um, but his, unfortunately, hit an IED, an improvised explosive device. In that moment, there was a huge explosion, and when he looked down, his legs were mostly severed below the knee. And at that moment of shock, he remembered a breathing exercise, and it was a breathing exercise he learned about in a book for officers uh, for very difficult moments. And that breathing exercise involved breathing in for a count of four, holding for a count of four, breathing out for a count of four, and then holding for a count of four. And thanks to the presence of mind that he had from that breathing, he was able to do his duty, which was first to check on his men, second to give orders to call for help. And third, he looked down at his legs, he tourniqueted them himself, he propped them up. And only then when everything was said and done, when everything was taken care of, did he uh, fall unconscious? And, um, and later he was told, had he not done that, he would have either bled to death or fallen into a coma. That story, I think, is such a powerful reminder to all of us that the breath is so incredibly important when it comes to presence of mind. It could even save a life. So I wanted to share that with you. And why is it that breathing is so powerful? Well, we know that when we inhale, our heart rate increases and when we exhale, our heart rate decreases. We know that our breath and our emotions are tightly linked. So just lengthening your exhales can also really start to slow things down for you. So you're in a meeting, you're driving, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling angry, you're tired, whatever it is. You can actually change how you feel through your breath. Lengthening your exhales is going to calm down your heart rate. The sky breathing that veterans learned um, that really helped them get over the trauma is... Um, it takes a few days to learn. It takes about a, a three, four days to learn. So um, that is, it's a 20 minute um, practice. It's also very, very powerful. Um, and that that's something that people can learn. Um, if they're veterans, they can learn it through Project Welcome Home Troops. And if they're just regular community members, they can learn it through an organization called Art of Living. Eleven years to get to the sale. The Nix anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of Nix's biggest sales of the year. Get thirty percent off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. 
Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. You described the four seconds in, hold four seconds, four seconds out, hold four seconds. I've heard all kinds of variations on that. Seven seconds in. Obviously, you can just do it any moment, but do you find that doing it for a set amount of time leads to benefits? Do you have any sort of like regular practice of it in the same way that people have like a meditation practice? Yes. I personally do this guy breathing every single day. It's a 20 minute practice. If you want to learn like a shorter one, this is funny because it's one I describe in my book and I never realized that my book agent uh, really took that chapter to heart and he started practicing this breathing that I'm about to describe. <laughs> and uh, he's kind of a type A New Yorker and uh, he was saying, oh, Emma, I've been doing that breathing from chapter two and I'm feeling really good and I'm breathing. At first I started with five minutes, now I'm doing 10, I'm doing 15 and he's really feeling a difference. So that was really funny and, and great news too. So, you know, that was a very simple breathing technique where I just said, breathe in for a count of four, breathe out for a count of eight. So you're, you're basically breathing out for twice as long as you're breathing in. And just doing that for a couple of minutes to start your day would be terrific. But really, it's something you can do at any point. I mean, I like to meditate or do breathing exercise anytime during the day when I'm feeling my energy dip a little bit. And I find it's such a healthier way to restore my energy and my peace of mind and my concentration and focus than any other substitute, um, such as a substance of sorts, which again leads to crashes. I really think of the analogy of plugging in my phone to fill up my battery. There are no side effects, but you do feel much better. You're more focused. You're just more on top of your game. You talk about another false theory of success and you say that it's you know look out for number one you know that we should look out primarily for ourselves and then you go on to talk about a skill that you can develop that helps you to be happier and more successful is show compassion to others what is the value of compassion in becoming more successful i think a lot of people listening to the show go well it's obvious what the value of compassion is but outside of that in more of a driving uh, a successful career type way where does that play in well we have this false view that in order to be successful you have to look out for number one and elbow people out of the way but if you look at the data again and again it's those people who are kind those people who support others those people who have good positive relationships with other people who uplift others those are the people that get promoted those are the people that you want as colleagues those are the people you offer a job to and so i'm not saying to be a doormat no way you got to have skill but the idea is that if you are a kinder, more supportive, more giving person, you are the kind of person that everyone else wants to support as well, that everyone else wants on their team, that everyone else wants as a manager, as an employee, and so forth. It makes sense when you think about it, but the data is showing that too. And so this is a really old paradigm, the, the lookout for number one, and it really needs to move on because when you are a kinder, more compassionate person, you actually benefit tremendously. Your happiness increases your physical health increases and you even live longer. There's so much data to show that people who are kinder, who have very altruistic traits actually are healthier and live longer, are happier and live lives filled with meaning and purpose, which is so fulfilling in a, in a very deep way that other forms of happiness or joy may not bring. Do you think that as our culture is changing, that this idea of being more compassionate and kind at work 
is more effective than maybe it would have been 30 or 50 years ago? Absolutely. There's a trend towards this. So workplaces are bringing mindfulness in, but the next trend is compassion. And we're seeing that there's a lot of interest in compassion trainings and managers are starting to understand that their employees are going to be more loyal to them. And there's research on that. Employees prefer to work for a boss where they're happy and where they have good positive relationships than another workplace where they get paid more. So we're always thinking, let's entice our employees with more material perks. But more than anything, people want to be happy at their workplace. And that makes sense. If you think of the number of hours they spend there, they spend most of their week there. What are some compassion practices that people are being trained in? I recommend loving kindness meditation as a place to start. Um, I have a YouTube um, loving kindness meditation up from the research study that we did. I just put it up because people kept asking about the practice that we researched and now it seems to be quite popular. I also have a downloadable one off my website if people prefer to have it on their iPhone and that's at no charge. And we'll have a link to both those things in the show notes at oneyoufeed.net slash Emma. So people can link right to those things as well as your Twitter and other accounts. Sure. Well, I think compassion is a great place to wrap up the conversation. Thanks so much, Emma, for taking the time to come on. Thank you for the work that you do. And um, it's been nice talking with you. Eric, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for focusing on these positive aspects of human behavior and the human heart. And it's just so important for us to remember that and, and to focus on that. Excellent. Well, thank you. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. If what you just heard was helpful to you, please consider making a donation to the One You Feed podcast. Head over to oneyoufeed.net slash support. You can learn more about Emma Seppala and this podcast at oneyoufeed.net slash Emma.